Hello and welcome everybody to the Ethics of Socially Disruptive Technologies podcast. Today with our guest Patricia Reyes, Patti, who will be talking to us about her research project and she will be talking about techno activism specifically. Hi Patti. Hello. Hello so, everyone. Um, you are working to figure out a political philosophy of technology for climate activism and you want to talk about techno activism. So maybe you could Tell us what you mean when you talk about techno-activism. Um, sure. Well, I mean, techno-activism is kind of like a working term, I would say. Um, but it's just a short way of me to refer to a phenomenon that I'm looking at, which is basically at the intersection of, on the one hand, the dissemination and the adoption of digital platforms, um, you know, in, in society around the world. And on the other hand... <clears throat> excuse me, the increase in advocacy for climate change, um, for climate action, I'm sorry. So basically what happens when these two uh, things intersect is that we've seen the emergence of uh, like new forms of climate activism. Um, and these are kind of like networks of, uh, of local environmental groups around the world. And uh, this, this creates a international organizations of climate activism like Extinction Rebellion or like Fridays for Future. So this is why uh, this phenomenon, this establishment of these networks of climate activism is what I talk about when I refer to techno-activism. So I use, I use the term to say all of those things with one single word. Okay, right. That, is, that, that sounds very interesting. And so when you talk about this, do you see like a specific kind of relationship that develops between the activists and the digital platforms? Sure. I mean, I would say it's a, it's a really complex relationship. Um, you could start by looking at the practices of, you know, that climate activists uh, are doing when they are employing digital platforms. So this can be, of course, like social media to amplify their political message, uh, but it goes beyond that. It also, it also includes like chat applications and cloud services in order to like organize and coordinate their demonstrations and to share uh, useful uh, knowledge and, and best practices for activism. Um, it can include as well like digital mapping. Uh, so this way they uh, can somehow uh, have an understanding of where are the local environmental groups that are part of their organization. So this, this type of practices you can look at uh, to start to analyze this relationship between the activists and the digital platforms. Uh, but as I said, it's quite com complex because uh, then they start to, uh, yeah, uh, I think they can even start to shape the platforms themselves by giving them this like continuous uh, use for uh, political activism. So it's a, it's, a, it's a complex and evolving relationship, I would say. Okay, okay, that sounds very interesting. Thank you. And um, there, there, of course, now the logical question to that would be, how do you think that this kind of techno activism and this complex relationship between the activists and the digital platform ultimately poses a challenge to philosophy, to political philosophy, to these societal issues? Yeah, that's, an, that's a nice question. Um, I think that I usually, I usually find at least like two ways in which techno-activism poses a challenge to political philosophy. Um, so one of them is the fact that 
the 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 users of these digital platforms which are activists that are in, in, interacting with each other they come from completely different socio political context um and they are basically they share in a way like the common goal of tackling climate change but their experience of climate struggles is completely different and so the fact that they are cooperating through digital platforms and establishing these international organizations that you know like they go beyond like nation state boundaries um i think demands from us to adopt a more like intercultural uh, approach to political philosophy um this is one thing uh, i think it's important uh, to take into account and another thing is well if you look at technologies and what is the role of these digital technologies in shaping the practices of climate activists um i think that you 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 have to also um incorporate this this role of technologies into your political philosophy um so then you have to to have a a, a kind of like broader approach or framework that incorporates both this intercultural aspect of the phenomenon that we're looking at and on the other hand the the, the crucial role that technologies have as well in this phenomenon okay well that's i think that already leads us um to my next question this 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 role and this phenomenon because i was i was trying to understand what the philosophical approach that you use to investigate this kind of techno activism because there is like it's it's getting a little bit more technical with that so maybe you can expand on that right um well i mean i think that that is how i look at my a research project right now. So what I'm trying to do is develop an approach that can help us understand what we're looking at, right? Um so it is an ongoing uh work but I'm I um I look at uh, political theory, uh then I also look at post phenomenology uh, to see how these digital technologies are mediating how activists uh engage with other activists or with the environment uh and but then i also look at uh environmental thought and ecological thought because i think this is really important to also understand where climate activists are coming from and where do they want to go so it's a yeah i i i guess it's like a multi-layered approach and um and it's it's kind of an ambitious project i must say you know if you want if you if you tell anyone okay i want to combine like post phenomenology and political theory and environmental thought or environmental philosophy it does sound quite ambitious but this is what i'm trying to explore you know how um how much can like how far can we go to understand this phenomenon if we want to reduce our philosophical framework or you know or if do we need to incorporate all of these different variables in order to understand what is going on Yeah, of course and you would also say that sometimes these kind of exploratory approaches in the beginning also being very ambitious helps you yeah. learn more about the project that you're looking into, right? Yeah, so, definitely. So um, um when you were talking about these different layers, maybe we can go through them step by step. Um so you first talk about this post phenomenological approach. So can you maybe talk a little bit more about 
what you're using there, what that really means, and and maybe also why you're not just relying on that, because I know you have a couple of issues with that. So maybe you can tell us about that. Right. So post phenomenology, what the reason why is valuable for me is because it allows me to look at these really concrete instances of um, human technology interactions and how they uh, basically result in a specific practice. So in this um, in this sense, I can look at how climate activists engage with, you know, technological artifacts that allow them to go into digital platforms and how that results in their uh, particular uh, experience of climate struggles and how that then translates into political action. So what we have in post-phenomenology is a set of tools and frameworks that, that makes us understand uh, the hermeneutic process or this process of interpretation that the technology user goes through when they are interacting with technology. This is why it's valuable because then I would say, okay, let's imagine I am looking at the newspaper that there is a, um, a protest in Amsterdam. Uh, from Extinction Rebellion, you know, and I find it really interesting. And, I, and then, you know, I go into a search engine and I, I look up Extinction Rebellion. Um, and so what happens is that then it, uh, it takes me to Extinction Rebellion's website. And uh, I look, you know, at this digital map that they have uh, that is interactive. And when you start exploring the map, you see that there are actually a lot of local groups of Extinction Rebellion. And there is one local group that is in the city where I am, you know, me, you know, living, I don't know, like two hours from Amsterdam, I actually have like a local group um, in my own city. So this in a way shapes the way that I look at the climate struggle and that I realize, okay, you know, there's a, a there's a community around me that I can, I can go into. So this kind of, of really concrete instances is what I can explore through post phenomenology. Right. Okay. Thank you. That's, it's interesting to see how, how those things interact and how you can actually use the technology um, but I think you also make that point that there are limitations to this, to, to the post-phenomenological approach. And then you also speak about mediation and that um, account. So maybe you can, you can explain to us a little bit more what that means. Yeah, sure. Um, right, so let, let's just start with, with mediation, which is basically, you know, the, the term that explains this uh, role that technologies play in, um, in people's experience of of the world around them. Um, so basically, <clears throat> you know, like mediation is at the root of, of this hermeneutic processes. Um, in that sense, we can say, well, digital platforms are mediating how climate activists are carrying out their political practices, their demonstrations, their organization, um, you know, their amplifying of their political messages. Why is there a limitation to to mediation, um, which is, you know, like a, a core concept of, of post-phenomenology? <clears throat> so basically, the, the way in which post-phenomenology tries to analyze human technology interaction is by, as I said, focusing on very specific uh, instances where an individual is relating to an individual artifact in a way. 
Um, so what that does is that um, it gives you uh, an insight into the subjective experience of technology users and how they relate to the world. But what it's missing in a way or what it still doesn't cover is the social dimension of our interaction with each other. You know, so I can run an analysis of how a device is allowing me to access climate struggle, but then it, it's not, um, we, we, we need to still expand this framework to understand how does it, how does it uh, um, help establish political and social relations between different technology users or between the world that we are experiencing. I hope that that answer makes a little bit of sense. Yes, yeah, no, that is very understandable that you also go from the individual to the communal and you try to bring in the political um, very specifically. I think I think that right. makes a lot of sense, yes. Yeah. Okay, right. well, thank you very much for that. Well, I'm, we're going to move on to the next question because um, I want to look a little bit at that, how, how the, the human nature relationship kind of plays into your question. So in your research proposal, you have this quote, and please forgive me for my Dutch, we is in the nature the herself beschermt. I, I tried my best, um, but I think, Patty, you can tell us a little bit about, more about why you use that quote, what it means, and how this kind of plays into your research project. Yeah, I, I love this question. Um, so for the, for the non-Dutch speakers, I will say this, this quote basically means we are nature um, defending herself. Um, so... This, this quote has been used in environmental protests a lot. And the first time I actually saw this quote was um, during uh, an Extinction Rebellion blockade of an Amsterdam bridge. Um, they, had, uh, they had a lot of like banners and, and flags and a really uh, big one was uh, saying, like was quoting uh, this thing we just said. Um, and so I think that I, I, I quoted, you know, as, as, a, as kind of evidence of how far uh, environmental thought has come, um, especially here in, in Western European countries. Um, I think that we, we come from like a, a, a history of environmental thought where we had this like really concrete uh, human nature distinction uh, where, you know, we have to protect na uh, nature, you know, with capital N, we have to uh, save the bees and save the planet because they are pretty and we don't want to live without them. Um, but, you know, throughout the years and especially right now when when climate change is such a big threat and, and, and people are starting to realize what a big threat it is for our own life, um, this distinction is is fading away. Um, so now it's not like, oh, we have to save the bees because we like them. Is we have to save the bees because otherwise we, you know, we're going to go away. Um, so this this kind of um, I think that that this evolution in ecological thought also plays an an important role into uh, a political philosophy of technology because um, then it you know, it, it challenges this notion that our political theory should be um, anthropocentric in a way. Um, and I, uh, I must, I, I think it is really important to acknowledge that this, this kind of 
human nature divide has not been the same or hasn't played a role in all of like in different philosophical traditions basically um so what is happening right now with these uh, networks of climate activism with techno activism is that actually a lot of different approaches to ecological environmental thought are being exchanged and there is actually room for uh, cultures and philosophical traditions that do not have this human nature divide. And I actually think that environmentalists in Western uh, European countries are learning from these different philosophical traditions, which I find fascinating. Um, so uh, this is why I, I went on a rant. I'm so sorry. No, no, not at all. I don't, I don't think it was a rant at all. That was wonderful. So maybe we can look a little bit closer into that because I, I find this, this, um, this kind of the human nature divide is, a, is, of course, a very interesting subject. And you also mentioned this in your research project when you say, well, in, in Western tradition, this has become a very recent phenomenon that you see the change in that and maybe the blurring of the lines in an understanding where you point towards indigenous groups, for example, such as the Aymara or the Inuit, where um, you can already see that they have a very different view of what constitutes nature and they might not have the same kind of division. So I was wondering in that sense, whether you think that techno activism and your kind of approach can help give these also historically marginalized communities um, a, a um, their long denied voice, so to speak. So how do you see the, that interaction there? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I, I think that there is an exchange for sure. Um, I think there is, as I said, um, these different traditions, uh, philosophical traditions and uh, uh, different ways of living as well that are in a way uh, making its way to other uh, regions of the world like Western European countries. And this is why I find, you know, a, a flag that says we are nature defending herself in an Amsterdam blockade. So, um, yeah, so so fascinating and, and so worth looking at in a way. So I think this exchange of uh, perspectives on uh, what is nature and what is the role of humans in nature or what, you know, like, are we part of it or, you know, like, do are there even limitations to, to this concept of nature? Um, so all of, all of these uh, philosophical questions are brought or are... Um, in a way incited by these techno-activist practices, by this exchange of different climate, uh, uh, exp different experiences of climate struggles happening in different parts of the world. Now, I would say, you know, it's not that techno-activism helps uh, marginalized communities uh, uh, to, or, or gives marginalized communities their long-denied voice. I think it would be a little bit the opposite way around. Like, we are actually learning there is a way out of you know this this uh, uh threat by listening to these marginalized communities because they show us that there is actually a different way to move forward I, right yeah, yeah. Right. okay okay yeah. wonderful thank you that's that's really interesting thank you so i have one um final point that i want to get to in in your basically your core argument of your of your research um, is to say that we should reject the anthropocentric understanding of the political 
basically. So I think this already goes into what you were talking about, the human and nature division. It might be the logical conclusion, so to speak. But maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what you mean when you say that this kind of anthropocentrism should come out, what, what that term means and how it plays into your analysis of techno-activism. Um, yeah, that, that, is a, that is a really nice question. It's also a tricky one. Um, it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how to justify this clearly. Um, so I feel like a, a lot of people uh, that, a lot of philosophers that are grappling with, with the threat of climate change have noted and pointed out how our current political theories are insufficient to understand why, you know, like the whole world is falling apart, you know, at, in, in front of ourselves. Um, so I think that then when you're trying to approach, uh, to, when you're trying to come up with a philosophical approach that, that can take in this uh, phenomenon of climate change, and then, you know, when you are recognizing, okay, technologies play like a crucial role in it because they are mediating this exchange between climate activists. Um, but then, you know, like what, what, what is going on um, with other species uh, of animals and plants with the, you know, like the, um, the acidification of the ocean, the pollution of the rivers, you know, and how this affect us directly as well. Um, you have to consider at least what is the political character of this species, of these, uh, you know, like non-human entities like oceans and rivers, and also what is the political character of the technologies that we are using to establish these political relations among ourselves. So this is why I feel like it's important to, uh, to try to adopt a post-anthropocentric politics, as I, as I call it. Um, I feel that, that um, this, this anthropocentric, it's a little bit tricky because it doesn't, um, it doesn't refer only to, you know, anthropocentrism doesn't only refer to human exceptionalism, you know, putting ourselves on top of other species, um, but it also refer, okay, like what, what is the anthropos? Because if, you know, you cannot, you cannot just generalize Every, all humans are the same and they all have the same relation with uh, nature, if you, you know, if you would call it that way, um, right? So we, we just talked about how there are other communities that have different uh, ways of living and different relations <clears throat> to ecosystems around them. So this anthropos also uh, has to be, uh, in a way, uh, explore like a little bit further what does it what does it really mean um but yeah this is this is uh, what i'm what i'm trying to uh yeah to to uncover a little bit with uh, with my research okay well that sounds like such an exciting project uh i'm very much looking forward to to how you further develop that and maybe we can speak again sometime in the future i have one last question for you that is maybe a little bit more of an open question that, um, so when you talk about techno-activism and we think about what it, what it can do, where do you see the role that it can actually play in the fight against climate change and for climate justice? Because obviously all of these groups that you were talking about, like Extinction Rebellion, talk about important subjects 
and they bring them up. Um, do you think that these movements can have an impact to how we see our, ourselves with nature beyond those groups that are already convinced that they're doing the, the right thing and that they're on fighting this fight? Because of course, the everyday lay person, do you think that techno activism there might have a chance to, you know, get it towards to, to a bigger group of people and for them to see the importance of doing something for against climate change? I I think so. Yeah, I, I think that it, it has a, a, a chance to really um, disrupt uh, climate politics, you know, and um, and that that is why I think it's also like a, a perfect now it's going to sound a little bit like an advertisement, but I, I, I think this is why it's a perfect uh, project for the ethics of socially disruptive technologies, because I, I really feel that these practices that are happening through di like with digital platforms are really uh, having an impact uh, and influence in our uh, in the evolution of our uh, environmental ec and ecological thought and i think it is the it is the exchange of these different experiences uh, of of climate change in different regions of the world it's uh, our openness to to you know like introduce and understand different uh, philosophical traditions that try to deal with um, the ecosystems around us. <clears throat> so I feel that I feel there is definitely uh, something there that is that is impacting how we respond to climate politics, and um, that's yeah I I I. I don't know. I feel that that is why I'm also very um, enthusiastic about this project. Patricia Reyes, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was fun. <laughs>